Jay Golden is joining us today on the From the Heart podcast, presented by the First Bank Center for Family-Owned Businesses. A little bit about Jay, uh, mostly from what I know about Jay, from conversations with him over the years, and and a good, dear, mutual friend of ours, Charles Antis, who you'll see a Charles touch on some of these questions that we'll ask today. Uh, So a little bit about my friend Jay Golden here today. He's a storyteller, a storytelling coach a speaker, an author, an insight shaper. I'm eager to talk about an insight shaper here in a little bit. Uh, as we tend to do on these podcasts, we, we pull from people's LinkedIn profiles. So let me just share a little bit about what Jay says about himself. How's that sound, Jay? That's great. Uh, Jay helps. He helps visionary leaders become effective, connective, and retellable communicators. I love that. I'm going to talk a bit in a minute about his book called Retellable. He's coached leaders and led trainings in the territories of food, travel, tech, and sustainability for organizations such as BMW, Google, the CDC, YouTube, LinkedIn, NumiT, Virtuoso Travel, and many nonprofits and accelerators. He's spoken on the big stage around the world, helping leaders to understand how to be more effective communicators by leveraging the why, what, and how of storytelling in business. I've often said personally that Some of the greatest leaders are great storytellers, and I know we're going to dive into that a lot. As I mentioned before, for those that are watching on this, you'll see his book I'm holding up called Retellable, How Your Essential Stories Unlock Power and Purpose. I've read it. It's great. I hope I'm a little bit better of a storyteller now after reading it, but only Jay will be the judge of that. He's also designed a story-shaping model called The Journey Curve, which I will also be participating in here soon a universal framework that helps any story become more memorable. He has also designed the insight gathering methodology legend, which helps leaders and organizations find key life insights that inform their path. Please help me welcome my friend Jay Golden again to the from the heart podcast presented by the first bank center for family owned businesses. Jay, how do we do on the intro there? Gosh, it sounds pretty good. I feel like I'm going to go back and, uh, and, and read that once more. Um, you know, it's always hard to, to write about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Ed. I, it's, I'm honored to, to be an invite to your uh, podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, my journey began really as a storytelling coach, began about 13 years ago. And I was actually getting some support from a, uh, a meditation coach. And I was in a meditation kind of exploring my next phase because I had put in about a dozen years kind of chasing the cutting edge of digital media and, and branding work online. And I was really sensing this, this change and I was exploring this and the word story kept coming up in my meditation. I thought it was kind of funny because I was already a chief storytelling officer and I was, you know, you kind of shove these things away. It's like, yes, I, I understand it's story, but the word kept coming up story. And as I walked away from that session, I I really paused and considered my journey, the work that I had done from early online learning to digital video, to animation, to um, a lot of territories of web series and helping leaders to create viral videos online that that showed the work that they do in these, these transformative organizations. And I realized that so much of what was missing was this elemental component of our lived experience as, uh, as people, as, as leaders, to how do we bring this 
lived experience into a module of change, something that informs the people we work with, the people that we're wanting to work with, and the audiences that we're communicating with every day. And so I, I kind of went analog, to be honest with you. I went from this whole digital journey and got very analog into the elemental components of what stories are, how they work, and, and how they can help leaders to create transformation in their organizations and also, frankly, uh, in their lives, because stories begin with uh, who we are and, and how we see the world. You've talked a bit in the book and in conversations, I've heard you talk a little bit about sort of the, and I'm using my terms here, the psychology of story. Why do you believe that we, or what do you know from your study and research, why we tend to remember more details when told as a story rather than just facts? Yeah, it's a great question. There's some some foundational brain science that I uncovered in my own study and exploration into leadership storytelling and, and kind of transformational organizational storytelling. There's some, some basic components. One is that uh, curiosity is sparked through suspense. And when you're curious, the brain science of that is that there's dopamine that's released into your system and dopamine actually enhances learning and retention. So suspense, not just not telling everything up front, which is kind of how we learned it. I don't know about your background in, in English studies, but how I learned about writing was tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them and then tell them what you told them, um, which if you take that literally means you're giving away the story. And so dopamine is sparked from suspense, which is enhances curiosity and enhances learning. So I start with that. I start with this idea of suspense and leveraging suspense, which is simply to say, when you tell a story, uh, like just like a good travel story, you're revealing a journey. You're revealing a certain series of steps that uncovered an insight. And there's also cortisol, which uh, happens in a story. It's kind of the, the stress hormone when you're not sure what's going to happen and you start to really feel that it's, a, it's one component of empathy, which is you're feeling what the teller is telling you. You start to feel it in your body. And you're also kind of on the edge where you're, you're, you're wondering, wait a second, where is this going to go? What's going to happen here? And of course, you don't want to have too much cortisol. You don't have too much stress because then people just walk away. They don't want to hear from you a terrible, terrible story that doesn't have an end. That's more like PTSD, right? Um, yeah. But to, to, to balance this dopamine, the suspense, the cortisol, the stress, and also the oxytocin, that, uh, that hormone that actually is released in childbirth, that is released in sex, that is released in these moments of deep connection. So the oxytocin is that, that sealing, that revealing, that, that bringing a, to a close um, and bringing through that cortisol into resolution. And so all those components are a big part of how you tell a story to both create the optimal connection with your audience and also to enable them to truly remember and feel what you've felt, but also truly remember 
what you're saying tomorrow after they've absorbed 100,000 words today, after they've watched, you know, participated in Zoom meetings and listened to podcasts and watched their Netflix movies and given their own presentations tomorrow, if they're thinking about what you've said today, then you're halfway to really bringing them into the journey that you want to invite them into. And, and that's really what this is about. It's leveraging brain science. It's leveraging lived experience. It's leveraging your true purpose as a leader and as an organization to reveal these transformations and invite your audiences to truly become participants in this journey in a way that not only is persuasive, but actually in a way that enables them to live their greater purpose and their greater dreams in lining up with uh, what you have to say and what you've invited them to do. So I would imagine that chemical release you're discussing is similar to what happens when we always say everyone remembers where they were when they heard Reagan was shot or the World, Trainer, World Trade Center was attacked or your dad passed away, where you got that, that news because of that release that triggers that, that memory, if you will. Is that very similar? Yeah, that's absolutely. That's a place where everything stops, yeah. right? Where all of a sudden you look around and the life that you were leading as before. As you knew it is completely reversed now or, or tra transformed. The life, the life as you knew it before, something is suddenly different. And I think that's very relevant to uh, where you were when the world shut down in 2020. Yeah. That's very much, you know, we went from a moment where everybody was on their own individual journey to all of a sudden we're all entering this time of change and transformation that while it has a huge amount of implications on an individual level is also one that brings us together into a shared journey, which is a really important part of storytelling as well. Yeah. So that we can kind of level the playing field, if you will, Jay, for those that are watching and listening to this now and down the road, let's talk a little bit about who you, and maybe I'll share one or two of mine as well, believe are great storytellers. What is it about them that makes them a great storyteller? And then maybe a great, a great story or two from their past, if you will. For example, I know you talk about Martin Luther King and you talk about your own personal story as well, but are there one or two leaders that really stand out to you that you would say, man, these are just fantastic storytellers and why would you, why would you label them as such? Yeah, I think that, I think that I would put Steve jobs on that list. I think he was a person that truly understood the power of suspense that in those presentations that he would make, whether he was revealing the iPhone or uh, the Macintosh or revealing the iPod or any one of these iterative talks that he would do where, where he was releasing something powerful. He never came in and said what it was ever. He mm -hmm. always led in a certain direction that tantalized you, that brought you into a deeper journey. And there was, then the reveal and the payoff was that much greater and you felt it. You didn't just witness it. You didn't just recognize that the uh, data, you know, passing through the channel was going to be that much more rapid and efficient. You felt that the world was going to change. And there is a story that 
that strikes me about Steve Jobs that I've thought a lot about recently, if you'd like me to share it. Yeah, please. That'd be great. I love it. So Steve Jobs told a story about when he was 12 years old, something that changed his life and also changed ours. And that is he read an article in Scientific American, the magazine, that showed the efficiency of different species. And it compared them. And what he discovered was pretty surprising. He found that humans were by far not the most efficient of species, that is using the, the least kilocalories per hour. Um, but the condor was by far was the most efficient of all the species. However, if you take that human that was kind of in the middle of the pack for efficiency, and you put that human on a bicycle, then what happens is the human blows away the condor massively and in terms of efficiency. And so what he realized at 12 years old was that humans are really tool building species that were not the smartest, the strongest, the fastest, but we can build tools that further our objectives and further our capacities, just like the bicycle. And what he realized was that the computer was really a bicycle for the mind, hmm. that it enables us to travel much further and much more efficiently because we've got this tool, the computer, to connect, to uh, learn to communicate. And that was the foundation on which he built Apple computers, along with Wozniak, of course. Um, but what strikes me about this story, and this is why it kind of, it kind of, you know, got, got, got like a thorn in my side, something I was really thinking about a lot. Like, what strikes me about this story is that computers can carry us really far. But it brings a question about, especially nowadays with the enhancement of AI and, and how much faster things are going and, and, and the also challenges that we're witnessing as, as a species and, and also as entrepreneurs. Um, computers can carry us really far, but how do we know where to go? Hmm. Right? That's really yeah. the question. How do you know where to go? And that's where I, I think about the bicycle for the heart. I think about the bicycle for the heart, which is really our own lived experience translated into wisdom and told in story. It's the bicycle for the heart, and you can appreciate this on the heart from the heart podcast. Yeah. That that orients us where to go. It tells us what's ours to do and where are we to travel. And then we we leverage all these other tools. Uh, to further those ideas to, because nowadays all the world's a stage, right? So we're, yeah. we're on stage when we're sitting at our desk, we're on stage when we're in our car, we're on stage when we're in our backyard. Yeah. All the world is truly a stage, but to bring those true gifts of insight and wisdom applied to our most important audiences with a deep understanding of what they need and orienting them into a greater journey that's been our life study, that's the power of story. And it's not just one story. It's many stories that we tell in, 
in different forms, in different days to bring our audiences, our teams, our partners, our kids yeah. into an orientation that feels truly authentic and that feels shared and that helps us understand how to guide the bicycle for the heart. And I like that because oftentimes you'll hear somebody who's a great storyteller described as they paint a great picture. Someone can paint a picture. I think of you. I think of Charles. I think of uh, my son, Justin, great storytellers in my life who I've often used that term. Man, he just paints such a great picture. So I have this visual when you're talking about that bicycle, suddenly I'm picturing all the times I've ridden a bike, which more than I can possibly count you know, and, and what I'm doing and where I'm going. And now, you know, it's, it's going in a certain direction. So I love that. Thank you. I, I, I love Steve Jobs as well. And yeah, I've, I've, as you were talking, it's funny because I was taking myself back to watching many of the product releases that he's done. And he's not talking about the phone. He's talking about the vision and he's talking about the journey and he's talking about the, the destination even before he even holds up or shows a picture of this piece of technology. So that's, that's pretty powerful. Absolutely. And like you're saying, um, the role of the senses coming back to brain science, the role of leveraging the senses in your story, it might be one of the senses. It might be sound. It might be taste. It might be touch, but if you can leverage two of those at once, there is a lot of brain science uh, study that shows that that's what anchors your audience in their own version, like you just said, their own version of the story, their own version of the scene. And really a story is, it's kind of a movie of the mind, right? You're bringing them into a scene with some feeling, some tension. Then you go on a journey, you drop them into further discovery. You Maybe you lay down a little bit of data that's very important that you've discovered. Then you get to a moment where all of the sudden you're not sure how all these things come together. You're not sure where to go. You're not sure what to do. And that's where maybe you remember something, maybe a mentor steps in and, and gives just the right advice at the right moment. And maybe these pieces come together for you that brings you into the deeper insight that creates the transformation in the journey. But if you can bring a couple of different scenes in that, a few different sensory details in that, truly enable feeling, not just the information, you might be very well be the, the smartest person in the room, but it doesn't matter that much when it comes to storytelling, because really what we need from you is not just the data. We need the combination between the feeling, yeah. the visceral feeling, the, the curiosity, the, the suspense, that stress and the payoff. And oftentimes the data, your key piece of data might be that payoff. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said that I've and I've noticed this too as well in great movies or books or TV shows or what have you. There's always there always tends to be a conflict. You know, the 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 couple almost kisses or there's some huge transition that changes the story other than conflict and without giving away too much because you have these courses that you teach and this book you've written. What are some of the key components that a great story should have for those that are watching and listening today? that can maybe help us each become a little bit better. Again, don't give it all away because we certainly want people to still, you know, feed your family by what they purchase from you. But at the same time, what can you share? I think some of the things, some of the things that I, that I 
just shared this idea of really making sure that you're not just coming in with the end at the beginning, even if you're tantalizing something, um, and yet you're embodying how the world was before, right? To come into, this is something I, I realize um, I see a lot, which is people come in and they want to be, they're, they're forward thinking, right? No, I want to talk about where we're headed. I want to talk about the change that we've done and, and where we're going. And that's really, really important. But you, in order to show the change, you have to authentically inhabit how things were before. So that's a part of it. Let's just ask your question. How were things before? That's kind of, if you say the once upon a time, right? Like yeah. five years ago or yesterday, I was yeah. kind of just walking down the street and I was thinking about this, this challenge of, of how we can, how we communicate uh, about AI or whatever yeah. the challenge was that you were experiencing. Let us feel that a little bit. Um, then send your audience on a journey. Uh, to, to begin the journey, there's some, some challenge, some maybe a mentor asks you a question that you didn't have the answer to, uh, some kind of bit that begins the, the turn. And that's also a place to anchor in sensory detail. So that's kind of the, the then one day, right? Then one day something happened. Then one day I, I, I was asked this question. Then one day all the world stopped, right? Yeah. There's something that brings us into the scene. Um, and then we go, the journey in earnest begins, uh, because a story is really uh, a journey approached in an interesting way that makes us care, right? It's not just something happened. It's not just, this is what I know. It's not just, this is who I am. It's not just the what about what we do. It's the why, right? That's kind of Simon Sinek hits that again and again, the why. The question is, how do you deliver on the why? And so coming back to that idea of really giving some suspense, some stress, and some payoff is to reveal a, a journey that drops you deeper and deeper into discovery. And then you give a moment where all the pieces haven't quite come together yet. You're not quite sure. You're, you're wondering what's going to happen next. And for life stories or, or organizational stories or your true purpose story, that pause might actually have taken a while, right? It might have taken yeah. a day or a week or a year. You don't have to wait a year to, to, to convey this story. You don't have to take a year to convey it. You can convey it in a moment, but to just pause yeah. and, and let us for a moment feel that tension, that cortisol, that stress of what it took. I mean, take your story for for example, Ed. You know, you you have moved into this very interesting place of supporting family businesses. But I know that that wasn't always your life and your journey, right. even though you've been involved in different ways in that territory. So to make a great move um, is to to really feel the threads coming together. And so then there's kind of the until finally moment. So. I, I like to look at this in, in three main pivots. If you have a then one day mm -hmm. until finally yeah. and ever since then. And the ever since then is really showing what you're dedicated to now, what your theory of change is, what your approach is, what you've committed to and how you see the future. So that's kind of the, the baseline of, of, of component parts that I would say.
that um, impact of whatever that that situation or transition was. There's a the book The Sun Also Rises. Hemingway talks about. There's a scene where somebody asked the main character, "How did you become bankrupt?" And he says, "Gradually, then suddenly." That gradually could have been thirty years. The suddenly could have been an instant. The suddenly could have been thirty years as well. You know, gradually, then suddenly, all of a sudden, I woke up and boom, I'm bankrupt, or boom, I'm in family business, or boom, I'm a billionaire, or boom, I'm an author. But gradually is that process, of, and only you know how long it took, but we can describe it in 10 seconds, to your point. That's such a great line. Uh, another Hemingway line uh, that, that I think of. A story doesn't have to be really long, but it, it does need to reveal a change. Yeah. And so once Hemingway was challenged to convey a story in six words. And what he said was this, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Ooh. Oh man, that just hit me. The emotion that just came up just, just leveled me right there with those six words. That's crazy. I love that. So then this is a story that drops us into that cave, right? And it's really right. valuable to go into that cave. Uh, it's also really valuable to have something that brings us through the cave. And so to have those kinds of resources, I mean, I think that coming back to what are the elements of story, I think that one of the really important elements of story is your lived experience. And I was just looking at, at, a, at a brain science study about how our lived experience informs our ability to see the future. And one of the things was, it was saying that our lived experience really influences our ability to imagine, right? Which makes all the sense in the world, right? In a way, that's almost a basic statement. But if you think about it, our lived experience influences our ability to imagine. The way that I look mm -hmm. at it is that we think that our lived experience has already been concluded, that we've already learned our lessons, and now we're moving forward into this new future, right? This next time, especially nowadays, where if you're telling the same story from three years ago, uh, you might want to check in because there's right. so much in the world that's changed. Are you up to date? And that's where I think your lived experience really matters because it's constantly reinterpretable. Mm -hmm. We can go back into our lived experience and look at those moments again and gather those gems, think about what the insights are now, and then apply them into a future that we're currently designing. And so that's a big part of, of practice. I call it, it's, it's whether it's in your own life or those around you, it's a lot of it is story listening, that you're listening for the story and not assuming that you know it, not assuming that even if it's been told a thousand times, it's the same insight or the same takeaway, because as we go through our lives, as we go through our businesses, these insights have new meaning and new opportunities for application. I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about the story we've all lived and you alluded to it already within the last three years of COVID. You know, we, we can start a story with it's March 1st, 2020. 
And then right away, I can start telling where I was, but most listeners are probably going to where they were. So they may miss. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you tell a story so that, and I, I know it's active listening, like you said, story listening, as you alluded to a moment ago. Are there, I, I hate to use the word tricks, but are there tools that a speaker can use to enhance the likelihood, there's no guarantees, enhance the likelihood that people aren't going to wander off and start daydreaming into their own story? or things that maybe we should avoid talking about? Like if I say March 1st, 2020, and I try to go into my story, you've probably already started jumping into your own story. Does that make sense? Any, any advice on that? Yeah, it, it, there's a great power there, right? To create something, a scene of relevance. I think this comes back to uh, these two questions that I always, when I'm working with clients, when I'm working with clients, I always ask this, these, these two questions. And the first question, uh, as regards to a presentation, a speech, uh, you know, the design of a new pitch, whatever the purpose of the exercise is, you know, the creation of your book, it, there's two questions. And the question is, where are you? First question, meaning what's up for you? What, what, what are you really focused on? What's the main thing that you need to bring through at this time, right? Or the main thing. So where are you? And this, it's, it's an iterative series. So, and then the second question is, where are they? Where's your audience? What are they, what are they needing? What are they believing? What do they know? Now that's always hard to do in such a, a wide swath, but you could choose three people in your audience. What do they need? What are they looking for? What are they seeking? And so then your job is to create a journey that goes from what you believe and what you understand, wrapping in what they need and bringing the two together. And so when you ask that question, well, how do we tell a story that in a way you're saying like that they don't wander off into their own challenges, right? Yeah. Uh, that's partially the power of leveraging sensory detail. So you're getting their attention. So whether they're wandering off into their own story and their own challenges, or they're wandering off into what's for lunch, yeah. right? The objective yeah. is to bring them on a journey where you're going from scene to scene, leveraging some suspense, you know, bringing in their curiosity so that they can't but listen to the journey you're depicting. And of course, you're speaking to them, right? So along the mm -hmm. way, you want to really be clear that you're considering and, you know, peppering in references to, to their journey, but really with um, the power of what you're getting to, which is the message, right? Mm -hmm. The message is the essence of the story, but it's not the story itself. It's the true insight that you come through. And then once you come through with that message, then you turn it back to them, to, to your audience and to their lives. So, you're always going to run a risk of, 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 you know, bouncing against their situation or their, their dog coming into the room or <laughs> yeah. their kid that's calling, especially now. I mean, nowadays, right. boy, we've, we've cracked open this, you know, what we consider to be the workplace and what we consider to be the audience and where they are. But if you're always working to draw them into an, an experience one that you know where it's going and you're comfortable enough, just like Steve Jobs was, or you asked for a few other uh, storytellers. I think Oprah Winfrey is an amazing storyteller. Um, I was just listening to her 
um, Golden Globe Awards uh, speech from probably six years ago now, five or six years ago, uh, when she talked about when Sidney Poitier first won the Cecil B. DeMille Award um, in 1964, no, no, 1982. Um, and when she, in 1964, he won uh, an Academy Award and how transformative it was for her. And we went right to her six-year-old self sitting in the kitchen with her mom coming home from work and just being captivated by Sidney Poitier and what's possible for a little girl in her life. And, you know, this idea of being transported is one thing, this idea of bringing them to a scene, but you have to bring them on a journey, right? Bring them to yeah. the next scene. And that's where your, your key information, everybody's got the key data that they need to share. And so, but, but to embed it in your story and not drown them in data. Um, that's the, that's the key thing. So, so to the, to the, to the point of how to bring them into that changed perspective, right? We want to share the changed perspective. I mean, my story, I was on March 13th um, of 2020, I was standing about, I was approaching my biggest stage, my biggest talk I had ever given. And on the way to the talk, I got three texts. One text was from my son saying, dad, do you know the NBA was canceled? Mm -hmm. You know, the other one was like a, an alert that said basically Europe's closed. Um, and then the third one was the global pandemic being declared. And I still had to stand up and give this keynote to, and I was 10,000 miles from home. I was in Adelaide, wow. Australia. Wow. And so um, talk about navigating stress and focus. Yeah. Um, but that would, that's, that's often the kind of job that we have is we have to face that uncertainty and we still have to bring our best gifts. I was walking into Amazon near my house to give a presentation to a team of managers when on the radio, it wasn't text messages, on the radio I heard the local sports talk guys talking about how the Golden State Warriors might play a game in front of an empty arena tomorrow night. And then some speculation about spring training, because this was in March, I'm a big baseball guy. Spring training games might be canceled. And, you know, we're going to wait and see what happens in the world. I went and I did my four-hour training, didn't bring my phone in with me because, you know, it's easier to just leave it in the car than to go through the whole process of checking in your electronics when you go into Amazon or many other companies with high security. Came out to NBA has been canceled, like your son told you. Spring training has been canceled. Oh, by the way, you're not going to work tomorrow. You know, oh, by the way, everything's shutting down. So, yeah, but you had that. Also, I'm hap I happen to be 10,000. I was a mile from my house. You were 10,000 miles away and probably wondering, am I going to be able to even get on an airplane? I um, was. Um, I, was I, wa I was able to hold myself together um, through the talk. You know, all my grounding tools, a lot of what – I'm not a presentation coach, but I think there certainly are some, some component parts of being a speaker – both in how you communicate and how you work with yourself that helps you orient to the challenges you're facing. I used all my grounding tools to get through that talk. And I was able to keep cool until about midnight. And about midnight, I started to freak 
And I was like, oh my God, was this the worst decision I ever made in my whole life? Huh. Um, but you know, these are the things yeah. that we have to manage. And so I look at that moment as a, a powerful then one day, right? That's a then mm -hmm. one day because yeah. it, sends, it sends us on a journey. Now, one of the things that's really important about that kind of a then one day and the experience that we've gone through collectively, even though it's we've gone through so many experiences, but it's sent us not just on a personal transformation, but on a journey of collective transformation. And that's where I really love this idea of kind of bottom-up storytelling, this idea that all of our stories together, when we're working in a group, in an organization, um, on a team, our stories together, when we orient them, start to formulate a greater story. And so that's part of what I'm really excited about for this time is that we're recognizing how important collaborative storytelling is nowadays, how these smaller stories, both our own stories of ourselves and our own lived experience and the wisdom we've gathered from those around us, they formulate a bigger story. And all of the people in the room, so to speak, also their lived experience and their insights formulates into a greater story. That's part of the value of becoming a story listener is that not just for your own presentations, not just for your own pitches or your own writings or works, but to be able to see how everyone's insights and their transformations around you actually informs a greater journey. And, and that kind of leads to a more of a story visioning process. Do you find yourself ever thinking, you know, I, I've been in situations where I just think I'm in the middle of a challenge and I think to myself, or I even say out loud to whoever's around, man, the story we're going to have from this. Do you ever think in terms of that as you're, as you're in it, think, man, this is going to be a great story or do you have to have lived it and then look back? I mean, is there a, which one is more profound? There's so personally? much. There's so much to that topic. It's a great question. You know, one of the pieces of it that I that I like to explore is kind of just recognizing that some stories aren't quite ready to tell. So that's really important when you're like, wait a second, this is this is important. This is something that's happening for me that I need to share or something that happened, but you haven't quite come to that until finally moment. Yeah. Right. So you don't know how you got out of the cave or you're going to get out of the cave and I'm that still means exiting the cave. Yeah. Well, you're in it. Right. And yeah. there is, it's a beautiful power to being in the story. Um, it's also part, it also, you, that has to do with what the ever since then is, you know, because mm -hmm. sometimes you're not, you've come through the story, but you haven't really created the change yet. But sometimes you're creating the change, just being dedicated to the change, dedicated to the, the, the process of shifting how the world is. Sometimes that's enough. And I, I just want to acknowledge that. So it's kind of both sides of the coin there. Sometimes it's like, okay, good. That story's still in progress. Let's leave that over there for right now. But if we give it some attention, we might be able to tell it in a way that reveals what we're truly dedicated to now even if the journey to that dedication has just begun. Yeah. 
I, one thing I lear- have learned about you in sitting at Charles's 60th birthday and talking with you and talking with you in the preliminary call we did a while back and now today and just reading what you've written and so forth is you use your words selectively. Some people like myself just ramble. You don't tend to. Uh, so I want you to talk about the title of your book and the subtitle and, and dissect it for me, if you will. The title of the book is Retellable. I know what I think I what I think that means. But I want to hear from you. But then the subtitle, How Your Essential Stories Unlock Power and Purpose. Can you talk about how you came to that title and subtitle? Thank you for that. Those kind words. Boy, I really appreciate it. No, it's true. It's a great it's an observation that others have shared with me about you as well. I just, I'll tell you one thing about that, that idea. Cause there's a lot to it. Um, sometimes I just am okay. I, I learned to be okay. Just stopping. Hmm. Even if I feel like there could be so much more to the topic. Um, and I think that might be, I studied language a lot and I know that you, you've done a fair bit of traveling and, um, I think we talked about uh, Ecuador, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I found myself lost in language um, many, many months and weeks and years of my life. And um, I think there's something powerful to finding yourself in between words is, is, is all I, I want to say is like the recognition that somebody is saying something that you don't totally understand that you're trying to re- respond to. And that there's a power in between um, what's being said and the meaning itself. And so I just want to kind of acknowledge that, um, that idea that what we're saying sometimes, we're doing our best to respond in the clearest way possible. And story is helpful in that because it, it does have a beginning, middle, and end. Um, but it's also sometimes to just, when you're in the flow to realize, like, I'm going to have to be comfortable with, with what I have just said. (laughs) Side note, side note. I I I keep going back to, in your beginning, middle and end and just being okay, stopping. I keep going back and I wrote this down when you said it, and this might be the title of the podcast, by the way, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Six words with the pause in between, and then you let the listener tell the rest of the story. It's deep. It's really it deep. Is. Um, it really is. So, so you know, I love, I love the the side notes. So, um, to so thank you for the question no and the compliment. Uh, the I had five titles for this book. Um, you know, I set out with this book to to really just convey after I had set off on that journey uh, into story and I had been working for a few years in, in developing my philosophies and applying that to some of the client work that I had been doing and applying it to training and coaching and, and working in the Silicon Valley, which I had already been doing for a long time, but starting to apply it into story shaping and um once I had been doing that for a while, I had already worked with Facebook and Google and LinkedIn and, you know, had had some early successes. Uh, 
I just said, well, I'm going to write a book that conveys the trainings and the, the primary tenets of what I'm doing as a coach. And a friend of mine challenged me. He's like, just spend six weeks on it. Hmm. Honestly, get all your ideas down in six weeks and, and see what comes up. And maybe you do a, just a little ebook, right? Um, well, I got to six weeks and I was like, there's no way I'm a lot more to this. Yeah. Yeah. This, there's no way here. And so six weeks turned to six months and six months turned to four and a half years. So oh. the, <laughs> that's, I think that's just a reflection of how I wandered in my um, exploration of the topic, but I had many, many different titles and what I came to is this realization of a very simple foundational litmus test, which is if you hear a story and the next day you're sitting drinking your cup of coffee and all of the things that you've heard and all of the things that you experience and all the conversations and all of the insights and shows and media that you've taken in and the stress around your kids and your dog and how you're going to keep your job or, or keep your team's jobs, all of those things that if you're sitting there with that cup of coffee and you're thinking about that story that you heard yesterday mm-hmm. and that you could tell your wife or your friend or your partner or the audience that you're speaking to today, you could retell that story because it's alive in you. And that's a good standard for what a story is, because nowadays there's so many, the word story is so huge. It's such a huge territory. Uh, We use it to represent where we come from, what we know, what we do, how we describe ourselves, um, what our job is, what our resume is. Oh, that's your story. That's just your story or your story. It's such a big word that it's really hard to kind of quantify and clarify. And so the word retellable comes out of that need. It's a litmus test, a standard for what a good story is. That if you can tell it to somebody and they can retell it tomorrow, they're feeling it, it, they identify with it, they're compelled to retell it or even to be able to retell it. So that's where retellable comes from. And sometimes they tell it, you know, we probably can't retell it word for word, but we can certainly put our impressions and our what our aha, if you will, behind it. And sometimes and I, we don't. The for sale, you, you know, baby shoes never worn. I'm not going to put my own words into that. But, you know, if I hear your story about being raised, you know, by a Ukrainian grandmother, which I'm hoping you'll tell in a minute, um, you know, I'll tell it my way, even though I, and it'll lose the power a little bit, but hopefully not too much. But that's actually the beauty of a story is I prefer it if it's not word to word. I prefer it if it's your own expression of this spark of change that went from me to you, that our brains synced and our hearts synced. And we found that connection. You gathered that gem and it became yours. That's really what the power is that we're speaking about. I love it when it has a different meaning. And Charles is, Charles is great at that. He'll take a story that I'll told, that I told or something and he'll turn it around and he'll tell it in a totally different way and with a different meaning and he'll do it on the fly. And I think, so that's the real, that's the power of retellable. I will say that 
I came out with Retellable a few years ago, and I now feel like it's funny because we've absorbed storytelling into such a great degree in this last five or six years. Um, I think it's now just kind of a foundational standard. And the, the next phase is really even a much more transformational component that our stories and purposeful component, you know, the, the idea, the word purpose comes from the old French proposé, right? To propose. Hmm. And so purpose actually is something about intent. It's about the intent that you carry and how you get there is your journey. But I think that the role of story nowadays to help people to orient themselves into this new time and to gather those around them to orient into a greater purpose, a greater intent, a greater journey. That's really the, where the magic is these days. So, but retellable still has its kind of core foundation that we gather those gems and we work them and we re rework them and we work to translate them into new and relevant and applicable ways. So that's the foundation, which is retellable. And the, the subtitle is really fun because um, I have a uh, Chip Conley, who's a, who's a great uh, thinker um, on the kind of wisdom of elders. And um, uh, he was a hotelier and an entrepreneur. He has this idea of a mentor. So it's a, it's a, it's a mentor and an intern at the same time. And, and I feel fortunate that in my work, I get to kind of serve that. Like you, you asked about great storytellers and, 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 and mentors. I feel really fortunate that I have so many um, mentors that are my clients, that I get to work with such amazing human beings that are changing the world every day. And I get to learn from them um, and they get to learn from me. Yeah, I get and, that with my family business clients daily. I mean, these uh, people are my sure. clients, but they're just, they're, they're legends. That's the, that's the beauty. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an amateur etymologist. So um, the, the word uh, legend actually comes from the, the Italian leggere to read. Hmm. And so I look at the word legend as someone who knows how to read the map. And it's called a legend too, the little thing at the bottom of the map. I like right? that. Look at right. you, man. I love it. <laughs> this conversation before, not about legend, but about the power of words when we spoke earlier. I love it. There's a, there's a lot of power to that. So the, so the idea of mentor, right? So the idea of having a mentor, which is mm -hmm. that whether you're the one, whether they're your client or you're their client, or it's a friend or an ally, or you have whatever the exchange is. So I, ha I have a mentor whose name is Lisa Polson. And she's a great communications coach, thought leadership coach, really, um, really a powerful individual. And we were kind of helping each other in our next phase of our, of our work. And she sat down with me for about 45 minutes. Um, I used to go to this little cafe in San Francisco overlooking aquatic park where I used to swim in the cold water. Hmm. And so I'd swim. That was part of how I how I got through the early entrepreneurship days was swimming in the cold water. Wow. And so afterwards I go up and write in the cafe. And one day Lisa, um, I asked Lisa if she'd come and work with me cause I was working on my subtitle. And I got to tell you, you know, 
when somebody shows up and is able to translate what you're saying into like, what is it? Six words, right? The six word story. She was amazing. So, so how to, um, how your essential stories, right? And the essential stories of the essence. And those might be changing, right? Maybe every leader, I believe every leader should have eight stories, right? And maybe you have 16, maybe you have backups, right? Maybe they change. They do, they should change through time. But if you can set a standard of eight stories that convey what you've learned, who you are, what you love, what your purpose is, what your passion is, it's a good list. I'm taking notes as you talk, by the way. Even though I'm going to go back and listen to this, I love it. So your essential stories and how they unlock, that is they open up power, right? They bring power that wasn't there before. It was there, but it was locked in. So it brings power. That is the ability to inform, the ability to guide, the ability to transform the ability to transcend, the ability to endure. All of these are powers of leaders. And they're all powers of, of these potent organizations too. Mm-hmm. Just coming back to Charles, I mean, Charles is, is an incredible leader, but he's also cultivated and brought together an incredible team, exactly. which is now an incredible community, which far transcends who he is and right. what he does every day. So how your essential stories unlock power and purpose and purpose as i'd said before propose intent what intent was not unlocked what integration of who you are was not unlocked what capacity to bring to the world wasn't unlocked and that's kind of that was the intent of the book i asked charles the other day hey i'm going to be talking to jay any stories or things that come to mind for you and he quickly responded like charles does with a video back to me of him talking to me and talking about you. And he talked about two, two things in particular that came up and I'm going to let you choose one. You, you have the right to choose both, but for the sake of time and maybe so that people will tune in when we have the Jay, uh, the Jay Golden part two interview, uh, either the, the, um, the impetus behind the, I have a dream speech with Martin Luther King or your story of your grandma, Ukrainian. Um, you can go both. However, I'm going to leave it up to you. Which way would you like to go? Since it was Martin Luther King Day mm-hmm. a week ago, and I was yeah. really sitting in in his legacy, uh, I think I'd like to to share a little bit about my study. There's a couple of things about Martin Luther King that really have kind of cracked me open. One is I was fortunate enough to have visited the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, and gone to the Voter Rights Museum. Um, And this was following, this is on a a great journey that I took across America after 9-11, kind of looking for the stories of America. And that experience, as it was told to me in the Voters Rights Museum, has been with me ever since. And, and, And the idea that When this immense crowd of marchers approached the line of police, the men on horses with bats, the police cars and 
all of those looks in their eyes. When they approached that line, the power of pausing, the power of pausing and what, what the, the practice of the time of the civil rights leadership, and, and there were many leaders on that day, as we know, um, but I do think about Martin Luther King on that, on that day, when they put their, they knelt and put their knee to the ground and prayed for the evolution of their aggressor, for the evolution, for the growth and expansion of their aggressor. That was what the prayer was. And that so much struck me that it kind of brought me into um, the civil rights journey in 2001. I, I, I didn't, I didn't have that kind of awareness at all, but I was traveling with a, a really powerful um, individual who, who was much deeper in the, in the study of that, um, Ellen McGirt. And I tell you this because it's kind of a lead in to the story itself, which I'll just mm -hmm. pick up, but this is just maybe yeah. between the two of us. Um, that power of the pause, that power of the recognition of the, of the prayer for the evolution and growth of that person against whom you are faced or, 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 or the tension between the two that that's, that to me is like true heroics. That's what legends are built on the, the bravery to, to bend and take a knee and to consider the growth and capacity of that person who stands in your way, not just hate them or put them down or wish that we defeat them but rather to um, pray for mutual growth. That's just, to me, it's like heart cracking open. So that was um, what was on my mind last week. Um, but I'm going to tell you the story. Well, and that's biblical too. Pray for your enemies. I mean, that goes back. I'm, I'm going back to Jesus. You know, pray for those who wrongfully persecute you. You pray for your enemies. We all have that enemy or that person that we just can't get along with that maybe we don't call an enemy, but an enemy is anybody that's opposed to me. So I guess that would be, you know, the right word, but yeah. How do we pray for those that are wanting something that's completely opposite of what I want, what I want? Yeah. And, and how do we, and I think in this time, how do we orient into a kind of greater circle yeah. where there's, it's really, this is coming into deeper vision, but mm -hmm. where there's a seat for everyone at the table and that's kind of how it has to be. Um, but that's for another podcast. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I wanna um, tell you my favorite Martin Luther King story now. Great. So you know about the I have a dream speech, right? Everybody knows about the I have a dream speech. But what we don't necessarily know about that speech and the March of Wash the, the March on Washington was that it was never planned. It didn't show up in the script. Martin Luther King had been up with his writers the night before until two in the morning, working and working and working what he was gonna say to this vast audience at this unprecedented moment. And I Have a Dream is nowhere in that speech, that speech that was planned, that speech that was agreed upon among his closest advisors, that speech that was presented and shared with the press. It was never in it. And this is why. Because the point of his speech that they had agreed upon, the message was really about a check 
that America had written that they had defaulted on, that they had not delivered on this promise, right? And that's a, a, a pretty powerful concept that it was a promise not, not delivered upon. But as he was working his way through this great talk and all of the audience was gathered and listening and the microphones were on him and the cameras were on him, he had this friend, this advisor, this mentor. Uh, her name was Mahalia Jackson. And she was a great gospel singer, a great poetess, very powerful presence. And as she was listening, she remembered something that Martin had said in a speech a few months before, a riff that he had done, a poetic riff, an, an exploration into the idea of a dream. And so as he was talking and he got the crowd riled up on this idea of a check that was not cashed, a check that was defaulted upon, there's this pause. And as it's told, Mahalia, who was about 10 people away from him, calls out and she says, tell him about the dream, Martin. And if you listen to that speech, there's this pause, right? The pause, such a long pause. And this is why it's powerful to me because it's about the long pause and it's about the recognition of the moment and what's necessary in the moment. And it's also why I'm really careful about people reading scripts because it locks you into a certain way of thinking and a way of being that can cut you off from the improvisational importance of the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Dr. King understood. He could feel this experience. And so that was what kicked him off into his, I have a dream speech because his advisor, Mahalia, who he would call late at night to just hear her sing so he could make his way through the night. So he could navigate his own thoughts and the challenges of facing challenge, facing trial and facing jail sentences and facing all of the stresses of being who he was, that he had such good counsel, such good advisors that when someone says, tell him about the dream, Martin, that he had presence of mind and presence of heart to know that it was just that moment to share that idea that could inform not just those around him, but generations that followed on one idea shared at the right time in the right way. And so there's so much richness to a person's life, especially Dr. King and, and what I learned in my own journey across America through some of these civil rights conversations, the, the idea that it was really so much about the foot soldiers, so much about those that were on the ground, those that you know walked on Selma the first time the, on Bloody Sunday, the, the true challenges that were faced and the the praying and the kneeling and the and the grieving and the healing 
But in the middle of that, the idea that you know the right moment to bring that insight that's been alive inside of you, but you've never known when it was time to bring it and, and that you can bring it forth, that you can bring it clearly and that you can do it with, with such deep purpose and such deep clarity that you feel that authenticity coming up from inside of you and you feel that field, that connectivity with your audience, whether they're five people or, or 500 or 5,000. Um, and that you know just when to stop. We're opening up another hour if I ask you this question, but I'm going to run the risk anyway. You talked about this journey back post 9-11, and you talked about how you're on a journey to, I'm paraphrasing in my words now, I don't remember your exact word, but that's the beauty of this whole conversation, right? I'm going to put it into my words. Um, learning more about America's story. You talked about the six-word story that we've already talked about a few times. In as few words as possible. And I don't mean this for time, but I mean it more for effect. In as few words as possible, how would you sum up America's story? From your, from your perspective and your search and your journey. Yeah, I really appreciate the question. And I, and I reflected a lot on, you know, those 16,000 miles that I, that I drove across the country in 2001 and two, in those six months and what it really meant and what I really discovered. And I have to say that for all of the writings and all of the media that we did and all of the expressions and all of the conversations with people, I put it, I put it into this time. I, I think that that kind of experience really helped me to see, to kind of squint my eyes and, and look at a country such as ours to look at America. And I think the way that I conclude that is that the experiment isn't yet over. Yeah. Too early to tell the story as we talked about earlier. Well, if you take the idea of independence day, independence as a primary value, and you take that into family, into community, into family business, for example, yeah. right? Independence is so incredibly valuable. But in a story, the independence is just the breaking away. It's the identity of self. The coming together of all of the different threads of who you are as a person. That's not independence. That's the first identity of who you are. Interdependence, mm -hmm. the way that we connect with each other, with our family, with our partners, with our allies to truly create change. Interdependence is how our ideas come into the relevance of a greater group of people. And so that's when I, when I look at America, I think about the holidays we don't yet celebrate. Hmm. I 
think about the experiment that's not yet complete, that began a long time ago, and that if we look at it, it in the last few years, it can feel very separated and very disconnected. But that's where I think the power is. I think it's a power of coming into a, a reflection of how everyone's got a seat at the table. And that's where we have to go. We have to go there. And it, and this is the last bit on it is honestly, it's because it, it reaches far beyond nations at this point. It does. We've got the perception for the first time in human history during lockdown, we had the ability to see every other human on earth hmm. for the first time. So at the same time as we feel so disconnected, we also have this growth and capacity to see each other unlike we've ever seen each other. And that's, you know, that's where I'll, that's where I'll bend and take a knee here. Yeah. Well, I like it. I like the holiday that comes to mind right now that we haven't celebrated yet. You said the word already, if we can ever get to the point where we celebrate interdependence day, that'd be pretty powerful where we depend on each other, we rely on each other, we support each other. Stephen Covey made that word somewhat famous in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talked about we can be dependent. Uh, and then think of any relationship you have. We can depend on the other person. We can depend on, you know, my meal comes from my dad's paycheck. We can depend on my happiness comes from someone else, and that's not healthy. We can be independent where it's all about me. And that's where we are as a society right now, I think, in many, many ways. Or we can be inter interdependent to your point and to Covey's point. And I love that word and that we really rely on and support and trust and interact with one another. And to your point, we all have a seat at the table. That's pretty awesome. You're right. There's a, we could spend yeah. a lot more time on that. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate the question. And it's, you know, really brings me into, a, you know, a good thoughtful place to set off on my week here. Ed. Awesome. We're doing this on a Monday for those that listen later. I've got two last questions for you. The last one, well, actually, I ask all of these questions at the end of all my podcasts. So if anyone's listened before, they know it's coming. The first is just simply how do people reach you? They want to be coached by you. They want to read what you write. They want to meet you. They want to connect on social media. What's the best way for anyone to reach you? You can reach me by email, jay at retellable.com. Um, you can... Uh, check out our website, www.retellable.com. Probably the best ways. You can also, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn or, or, or connect. Those are, those are good places. I love the, I love to talk story and I love to hear stories. And I especially love to work with paradigm shifting leaders and organizations that are making a new way collaboratively in this time. Awesome. And I will put all your contact information in the notes on this show as well. So for those that didn't hear it, you'll be able to see it in the notes. The final question I ask all of my guests, as you, you alluded to earlier in the conversation about the name of the podcast is from the heart, not just a play on my last name, but the purpose of this entire podcast. So the reason I'm at episode number 76, uh, now 76, I think pretty amazing conversations. Thanks to guests like you. I'll just ask you, Jay Golden, as we wrap up today on January 30th, the end of our first month of 2023, what's in your heart? 
I alluded earlier to this idea that our previous experiences influence our ability to imagine the future. And what really strikes me is the human capacity for reinterpreting lived experience, translating into gems of insight, and holding those gems in our hands so we can look through them as if a prism to be able to see a future that works not just for ourselves but for those around us and not just for our and not just for those around us but for everyone involved